We had a great time this past week uh, seeing the Lord do some pretty incredible things at our church, and uh, I just wanted uh, to underline what Megan said. It's been a, a real, real cool week um, uh, to, be, uh, to be a part of, of what's going on here at Village Church East. So uh, today is no exception to the rule. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. And uh, if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We want you to feel comfortable and uh, a part of what we're doing here. And so hopefully you already have. And um, now we're going to dig into God's Word and look a little bit for what God would have uh, for us this morning uh, from the story of Genesis. I'm going to use actually my dad as an illustration again today. I know I just did that uh, last week. But uh, my dad means a lot to me, and, and every time I think about a hero that stands out in my life, uh, my dad uh, usually comes to mind. Uh, I had a paper route. Do you remember when little kids had paper routes? Like, you remember that? Yeah, okay. So I had a paper route when I was 11 years old, and uh, I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I would go around my neighborhood and deliver about 40 different newspapers. I used to love the summertime, uh, which is about three weeks in Canada, and, uh, because I could take my bicycle and I could deliver the newspapers, and it would go a little faster. But usually it was nasty weather, and it was cold and everything. And, but I would get up every single morning. Our, my only day off was, uh, was uh, Christmas, if it landed in the, in the middle of the week. Um, so every single day I would deliver these newspapers at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd come home, get my breakfast, get on the bus, go to, go to school. Uh, and I did this uh, ever since I was just, just uh, knee-high to a grasshopper. And uh, one of the things that I had to do, though, uh, as a part of delivering newspapers, was I had to collect the money. So if I delivered newspapers to somebody's house, uh, I would go to their house during the week, usually on Thursday night, I'd knock on their door, and I would collect money that they would owe for their newspapers. And then on Saturday, the guy from the newspaper company would show up at my house and he would collect the money from me. Now, what is interesting about that whole setup is that if the people didn't pay for their newspaper, I still had to pay the guy that showed up on Saturday. So I had to make, because, you know, the company's not going to lose their money, right? So I had to, uh, if I went on Thursday night and you weren't home, I'd have to go back and make sure I'd try you again on a Friday night or on a Tuesday night or some night, because every Saturday he comes to get his money, and if I'm not getting paid, I'm taking it out of my own pocket to pay the guy that's coming to collect the money on Saturday morning. There's this one house that I had, and they were notorious for not paying their bills. In fact, I would show up on a Thursday night to collect the bill, and they would, I, they would be home, the car in the driveway, the lights are on, and as soon as I rang the doorbell, they would scatter. They would like, run to a part of the house where I couldn't see them and be real quiet, so maybe, maybe he doesn't know that we're home. And, uh, and they were notorious for doing that. They just would not pay their bill. Now, some people would put it in the mailbox, and I'd just come up and collect it. It, it was only like three or four bucks a week. I mean, it's 30 cents a newspaper. Do, your, do the math. And so uh, these guys would, would constantly not pay. Sometimes this would go on for weeks at a time, and so I'd always have to pay, and I'd be losing money in the process. So my dad finally had enough of this house, because he would say, how's it going? Are you collecting the money? Are you getting everything that you need from, from your customers? And I would say, well, this one house, I just... I even remember, I remember where the house was. I remember the color of the house. I remember everything about this. I could tell you the street that the house was on. So <clears throat> I said, well, this one house, they're just, they're, they're not paying. And, and dad said, well, make sure you go back. And so I went back and back and back. So one time this went on for like two months and there was just no payment. So he said, don't, you know, stop delivering the newspaper because you're going to be out, out of money. 
And, uh, but by that point, my dad had it. And so he came with me one time to collect. You know, I brought the muscle. Uh, he comes with me to the house. And uh, you know, I'm just an 11-year-old. Can you imagine ripping off an 11-year-old kid, you know? So uh, now that I'm an adult, I look back on it and go, those guys are, yeah. Anyway, so 11-year-old kid standing with his dad. Dad's just knocking on the door, banging on the door. They come to the door, and dad gives them a lecture. And he says, this kid is 11 years old, and you're ripping him off for the sake of a 30-cent newspaper? Come on. Like, let's, let's be adults here. And so they found like, you know, the 10 bucks that they owed me. <laughs> And they gave it to me, and, and then it, well, so then it lasted for a little while, but then guess what happened? Yeah, they <laughs> went back to their old ways. My, my dad, he, uh, he would do stuff like that so often in my life. Have you ever had somebody stand up for you when you need them to? Is, is there anybody that comes to mind, like, if I, I gave you that scenario, and there's probably other scenarios in my life, but that one stood out to me as I, trying to think of an illustration to give you this morning, but somebody that would really stand in the gap. Somebody that would step out of their comfort zone and take it on the chin for you. And maybe you've had somebody like that. Hopefully you have, because it's an awesome feeling. But if you haven't, then, uh, then you need to become a part of this church, because we all take it on the chin for each other, right? We stand up for one another. That's what a church family is for. Um, I don't know if we'll go to a house and bag on the door until we get the money they owe you. We may not go that far. But, uh, but that's what a church is for. A church is to be like the, the hand and the eyes and the heart of God for the other people in the church. And we're not talking about the church today, but uh, it occurred to me as I was putting this together, I thought, surely everybody that's listening would have some illustration of somebody that would come along and be the strong man for them. Somebody that would go out of their own comfort zone so that you could be taken care of. Hopefully you've had that. In this case, Abraham has this very thing happen to him in Genesis chapter 15. So if you can take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15, this is, this is where we're going to be uh, talking out of uh, today. We're going to be talking about the Abrahamic uh, covenant. And for the Abrahamic covenant, God does something for Abraham that uh, he never even expects. He never even, he never even supposes something like this would occur. Abraham has had the promise of God. It's probably been eight, nine, ten years since the first promise has been made, but there's still no child. He's, he's in the promised land. Yeah, but he's had these situations go on with Lot, and you know, and the, the kings and the battles and all of those things that have happened all around him. And he's probably thinking to himself, okay, Lord, are you going to really follow through on this? Are you going to really step in the gap and make this happen? Because I can't do it. I'm just an 11-year-old kid delivering newspapers. I don't have the strength in myself to get the money from this house. Abraham is saying, I don't have the strength in myself to make this happen. But you've promised it. Are you going to follow through? Would God be the kind of a God who would be the strong man to step in the gap and make it really happen for Abram? God does an incredible thing today. God goes out of his way to make sure that Abram knows the incredible weight of the promise that God makes to Abram. Abram asked for a sign that would confirm the promise, and God responds with what we call a covenant. Only Yahweh would make a promise this way. Now, Abram was familiar with covenants. Ancient Near East covenants were a common thing in Abraham's day. He grew up, he's now 85 years old, he knows very well what a covenant is. For us today, we're not that familiar what a covenant is like Abraham would be familiar with what a covenant is. 
So I want to take a little bit of time and explain to you what a covenant is. And it's very interesting that God taps into something that Abram is already familiar with in order to make sure that Abram knows how serious God is about his promise to Abraham. He ups the ante by making this covenant with Abraham. It's one thing to make a promise, but an ancient Near East covenant is a treaty or a contract or a promise that carries uncanny weight. Here's usually what makes up a covenant. It's initiated by an act of goodwill, uh, something that somebody does on behalf of somebody else. It's unilateral. It's usually uh, done on behalf of the benefactor, not the one in need. Uh, It's a legal contract requiring payment, often blood. It requires payment back in goods and services. Uh, That's usually a tit for tat. If I do this for you, you're going to, like, this is a contract we're making. You make a contract on your house, right? And if, uh, if you don't pay on your house, what happens? Yeah, you get a visit from people who want to know why, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it's usually symbolized with a sign. There's usually something that signifies a covenant has been made. Now, you know covenants because we've already passed Noah. Noah was made, uh, uh, God made a covenant with Noah, Uh, We call it the Noahic Covenant. God says, what is the promise that God gives to Noah? He'll never flood flood the entire earth again, right? Uh, There's sections of it that get flooded, but it'll never be a worldwide flood again. This is established by God for Noah because who can control the rain? Not Noah, right? So it's usually made by the benefactor, not by the other guy. And Noah signifies this covenant because as soon as he gets off the ark, he sacrifices And so it's a covenant made in blood. And it's after that sacrifice that God promises, I won't flood the earth again. And then there was a sign to the covenant. What was the sign to the covenant for Noah? Rainbow. Rainbow, very good. Hijacked by a group of people today that, uh, unfortunately, it is a sign that God is faithful to his promise. So here we go. Genesis chapter 15, starting verse 7. God begins a covenant with Noah by saying, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land that you will possess. I want you to notice some things in here. First of all, the identity of the benefactor. Not, no, uh, not Abram, but I am the Lord. He identifies himself. The second thing is, he tells him, this is the favor that I have already given to you. This is the kindness that I have already shown you. I brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans. And then, here is the promise to give you what? To give you the land that you will possess. The promise includes the land. God has already expanded on this. We've already talked about it. The promise includes the land. Blessings for those who bless Abraham. Curses for those who who curse Abraham. Promise that he will stay faithful to Abraham and his prodigy as long as as, uh, the earth exists. That's what we call an eternal covenant. And promise to Abraham for the big one that he will one day have a son. These are all the details of the promise that God makes to Abram. And God now goes an extra step to make sure that Abram knows God is going to keep up his part of the deal. Abraham begins by questioning God's loyalty. He says, but Lord, O God, Lord, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall 
possess it. In other words, how do I know you're going to keep your word? So God decides to bind himself to his word by initiating a covenant with Abraham. Now, covenants in the Old Testament, covenants in the ancient Near East, the Oriental system that Abraham was a part of, covenants were very common. They've kind of gone by the wayside, but we still have some remnants of what it means to make a covenant today. You just saw one yesterday. Yeah, believe it or not, all of you probably did, unless you were living under a rock somewhere. Here's the, here's the covenant that you saw yesterday. When somebody puts their hand on the Bible, the Supreme Court justice that just got uh, brought on, I, I don't know what your politics are, that's not what we're talking about, but uh, he now is a part of the Supreme Court. How do we know that? Because he took his oath. This is his word, his covenant. Now, it's not just enough that he walks into 7-Eleven and says to some guy across the counter, I'm now Supreme Justice of the court. I'm going to do the best job that I can. And everybody goes, oh, good. No, no, no. We got to take it a step further. Take the Holy Bible, stick it out, put your hand on it, put your other hand in the air, and swear to God that you will do what is necessary to uphold the Constitution and to perform your functions as Supreme Court Justice to the best of your ability. And when he verbalizes that he will do that, that is covenant. That's his oath to the covenant he makes with the people of the United States. So you're already familiar with this covenant idea This is more serious than simply giving somebody your word. This is more serious than just to swear on your mother's life, all right? This is something that we've taken giving your word to to the ultimate extreme. Put your hand on the Bible and swear to God. It's like making a blood oath with somebody, you know? It's, it's, you can give somebody your word or you can cut your wrist or, or cut your hand and then put your hand with somebody else and, and the blood, you know, the blood makes the covenant significant. In Abram's day, this idea of berit actually means covenant, but it comes from the word bara, which means cut. Did you know that? Stick with me, because this is just going to get very interesting. Berit, to make a covenant with somebody, comes from the word bara, which means cut. You do not make a covenant, you cut a covenant. In Abram's day, the way that you did this, when you, you, you're not giving somebody your word, you're making a covenant, is that you take animals, usually one, in, his, in Abram's uh, case there was more than one, you slice along their backbone, you pry the animal in half, and you put the animal on two sides. Then the person that you make the covenant with, you walk beside as you walk between the animals, blood on your feet, and you make your oath to one another as you walk between the carcasses of the cut-up animals. Why do they do it this way? Because it's an ugly reminder of the seriousness of what you're doing. You're probably thinking to yourself, why in the world are we talking about this today? This concept is going to change the way you look at Scripture forever. You walk between these bloodied, cut-up animals, and you're reminded of the seriousness of your word. You're giving the person your word, they're giving you their word. It's an ugly reminder. When you tear the animal in half, it's a reminder to you of the, the disgusting seriousness, the sober reminder of the cost of the covenant. 
this, this covenant you make with the other person costs these animals their lives. It's a promise that you make together when you walk between them. In Jeremiah 34, verse 18 to 20, the priests and the leaders of Israel made a covenant to God. And God actually refers to their covenant, and they swear their oath to God that they will be the kind of leaders that God wants them to be. And they, they actually cut pieces, and they make uh, pieces of animal, and they make their oath to each other and before God. And they went back on their oath. And you can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 34, but God is not pleased with them, and he refers to the oath that they made to him to be the kind of leaders they should have been, and they're breaking the covenant. To break the covenant meant to bring the curse on the one who broke it. If you break the covenant, what you're really saying is you walk between these dead animals. You're saying, may I be like one of these dead animals if I break my oath to you? If one person doesn't keep their word to the covenant, they would become like the dead animals surrounding them. They would become cursed like the animals that are laying bleeding open on the ground. God or Abraham would become like the dead animals if they didn't keep their word to each other. Before I leave this concept of covenant and dig in a little further, let me just say there is one other thing that we do on a regular basis where we make covenants with each other in our culture today. We do it fairly often. You usually have to get dressed up. And it's usually done in a church. Marriage. Marriage is a covenant. This is not a contract. This is not, if you do this, I will do that. That's different. This is a covenant, meaning that I will, com- I will perform my duties to you, and if I don't do that, regardless of what you do, regardless of your part of the covenant, I am covenanting with you that if I don't fulfill my obligations to you, I will become like these dead animals on the ground. I will uphold my oath. In other words, if I don't, you can... If I forsake you, you can cut me up and feed my body to the birds, all right? God makes his covenant to Abraham uh, in a very unique way, something that Abraham understood, and this is something Abraham understood, how to make a covenant. So here we go, Genesis 15, verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, and he cut them. Here you go. He cut them in half. Barah cut them in half. Laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. <laughs> you just see this guy. He's cutting these animals. He's tearing them up. He's full of blood. It's just a messy. And the birds start coming down. He's going, choo, choo, choo. I'm trying to do something serious here. And God wants to make a covenant with me, and I'm trying to set this all up. And he can't even keep the birds off. And you're thinking to yourself, why is, why is that important? You'll find out. It's very interesting. Before we leave this passage, I want you to see that God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Look what happens in verse 12. This is what blows me away. As the sun was going down, what happened to Abram? Abraham fell asleep. A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and dark, uh, great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God gave his promise to Abraham, and he gave it to Abraham, and he said, This is going to be my covenant with you. You're going to have blessings, you're going to have land, you're going to have son, you're going to have 
prodigy like the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky, I promise you, I make my oath to you that that's going to happen. But then God says, and you know what's going to happen on your end of things? Your kids are going to be total losers. They're going to be idol worshipers. I'm going to have to drive them into Egypt to discipline them and keep them there for 400 years. In other words, God's saying, here's the deal. I'm making a covenant with you, but because I'm a timeless and eternal God, I know you and your kids are going to drop the ball. I know it's going to happen. I'm already there. I live outside of time. He knew Abram's descendants would abandon Abram's faith. They would come idol worship. They would forsake God altogether. And God still makes a covenant with Abraham. What does that tell you about God? God keeps his promise to us regardless of our failures. He knows you better than you know yourself. If God loves you, he chooses to love you regardless of how you are, have, or will drop the ball. That's why we, if you come to this church, that's why we talk about grace so much. Spurgeon said, once you think you've talked enough about grace, you've got about two more years to cover. We talk about the promises of God. Here's, here's, here's one that pops into my mind about God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than what, church? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God relieves Abraham's fear. He says, listen, I know your, your, your prodigy are going to drop the ball. I know they're going to sin. I know they're going to not perform their end of this covenant. But after I discipline them, I'll bring them right back. God will keep his promise to Abraham even after they don't keep up their end of the bargain. And those who treat Abraham poorly, God will continue to curse. This is the promise of God being fulfilled. Verse 14, but I will bring judgment. He expands even further. I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, which we know now as Egypt. Abraham did not. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the uh, Amorites is not yet complete. God is mercifully allowing Abraham to see that God will remain faithful to Abraham. He will remain faithful to this covenant. He will remain faithful even regardless of the fact that Abraham and his kids will drop the ball. Hebrews 6 expands on this even further in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, observed the promise. Only our God would make a promise this way. God will remain faithful to his covenant, to his children, no matter what. And this is what we miss when we, when we elevate religion and desecrate grace. When we worship religion and we don't worship God, we elevate the fact that we've got to perform because if we don't, God won't perform. That is antithetical to the idea of covenant. 
Because regardless of what you've done, doing, or will do, if God has covenanted with you that you are his child, that covenant cannot be broken. That blows me away. Only Yahweh would keep a promise this way. So here's the walkthrough. In verse 17. Here's how it went down. When the sun had gone down and it was dark... Remember, what is Abraham doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What is Abraham doing again? Sleeping. Abraham's sleeping. Who's walking between the pieces? God is walking between the pieces. Who is with God? Nobody. God is walking between these pieces himself. Now, here's the, here's the illustration of that. Why a fire pot? Fire pot can also be understood as a furnace. What does a furnace do? A furnace burns so that you can wipe off dross and you can get the purity of the metal that you are smelting, right? That's what a, a furnace is for in Abram's day. In our day, it might be for a little more heat than, you know, we're not making medieval swords at home. But this is how you get a real pure metal. The illustration of the fire pot is simply a a demonstration that this is the presence of God. A pure, holy, unstained God is walking through the, the, the pieces of the bloody animals. Why the torch? Because God always signifies himself as light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. When people saw God, their faces glowed. God always, the, the, the bush burned. There's, it's always light when, when, it's, when it's God. And so God demonstrates that his presence is walking between the pieces by the flaming fire pot and the torch. Why did Abraham not walk through the pieces? Because he couldn't hold up his end of the deal. <laughs> he couldn't do it. God doesn't say, Abraham, wake up. We got to do the deed. Let's walk between. You vow to be faithful to me, and I'll vow to be faithful to you. And if one of us breaks the covenant, if one of us breaks the oath, we'll be like these dead animals. God lets Abraham sleep, and the only person that walks between the pieces is our soul by himself, singular, Yahweh God. Why no Abraham? This symbolizes the grace of God because God knows Abraham is not going to keep up his end of the deal. He can't. Listen, if you're trying to get to heaven by being perfect, that's a bad deal. You'll never do it. You're looking at a very imperfect imperfect person. Thank you very much. Uh, Mark always reminds me of that, so it came quickly to his mind. (laughs) So you are looking at a very imperfect person. Every time we get together, Craig, you're imperfect. Okay. we are, <laughs> we are imperfect. The point of all of this is not to be as good as we can be. The point of all of this is that we worship a God who gave us his son, who is, good as, who is as good as God is, who is as good as he needs to be, who is perfect because we can't keep up our end of the bargain. We are going to drop the ball. The only one who never drops the ball is Jesus Christ. This is more than swearing on your mother's life. This, God swore an oath to Abraham on his own life. 
Nothing would break this covenant between God and Abraham or Abraham's descendants. Remember, this is an eternal covenant. Your kids are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Nothing was going to break this covenant. You know, God looked at Abraham and said, Dude, you are too weak to even keep the birds off the carcasses. You can't even keep the birds off the dead animals. How are you going to keep your end of the bargain? And then God illustrates it by giving him this view into the future. He says, your kids are going to be total losers. But I will not break my covenant. I'll bring them back after 400 years. I will fulfill my end of the bargain. God takes the full responsibility of this covenant on himself, and only Yahweh would keep a promise this way. There's no conditions to this covenant on the one receiving the benefits. The only conditions on, through, in this covenant were on the one who is making and giving his word. God alone moved between the pieces and guaranteed the promise. And so he says one more time, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates. God does all the work alone. And if you became a Jew after this point, soon, soon to be, you, we'll, we'll get to the story, but if you became a, a Jewish person in this day, you would take the sign of the covenant in order to become a part of the Jewish nation. And what was the sign of the covenant to become a Jew? Circumcision, right. Can you go back on your decision to be circumcised? No. It's pretty much a done deal at that point, right? This is why God makes covenants this way, because Once God covenants with us, it's a done deal. God doesn't go back on his covenant with us. God doesn't go back on his covenant with his his people. God makes covenant with us, and then he is not a covenant breaker. You want to know why I don't think I can lose my salvation? It's because of this. I don't think once I ask the Lord to be a part of my life, once I give my life to Jesus, once I ask him for forgiveness of my sins, and I choose to follow him, there's no breaking that. Now, I can break it. David certainly broke it with Bathsheba. Peter certainly broke it when he denied Jesus three times. I mean, give, give, I can give you tons of illustrations when people break their word to God. But as far as God's word to us, eternal, unchanging, covenant. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're good to go. <laughs> you're, now, and people say, well, Craig, that sounds awfully easy. It wasn't. It cost somebody their life. The Spirit is our seal until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13, In Him also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, here's the key phrase, and you believed Him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Love that. Sealed. Who is the, what is the next word? Guarantee. Guarantee. Don't you like guarantees? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God does not break covenant with his people. He can't or he ceases to be God. He gave his word on his own life. Not in his mother's life, on his own life. We drop the ball constantly, but God is always faithful. One more verse, Galatians 3.27. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There's no male nor female. Sidebar. Have you noticed in our world how everybody wants you to fit into a category? It's starting to get on my nerves a little bit. 
Oh, you're women, so you have these rights. Oh, you're men, so you have these rights. Oh, you're gay, so you have these rights. Oh, you're transgender, so you have these rights. Oh, you're um, uh, African-American, so you have these rights. Oh, you're white, so you have these rights. You put into a category and you have the rights that everybody determines you have in those categories. Jesus Christ came so that all those divisions would be gone. When you look at somebody else and you identify them in a category, you're taking away the power of Jesus Christ to make us one. We're not supposed to have these divisions. We're supposed to be one. When people look at us, they should see one person, Jesus Christ. Whether you're slave, free, Jew, Gentile, uh, man, woman, slave, it doesn't matter. High up on the economy chain, low up on the economy chain. We're all one in Christ. That's what God does. All right, that's enough of that sidebar. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are, get this, Abraham's offspring and heirs to the promise. Do you know what that means? That means if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're one of the many stars in the sky. You're one of the many sand on the seashore. You are brought into the family of God through the promise God made to Abraham so many years ago. And he doesn't break his promises. We are grafted into Abraham's family. We are given the same promise that God gave to Abram. Jesus will do whatever it takes to forgive us of our sins. In Romans 11, verse 27, and this will be my covenant with them, all those who believe in Jesus, that I will take away their sins. God's family, those from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, are all brought together in one family, Abraham's spiritual family, through one action, and that is the death of Jesus on the cross and the victory in the resurrection. All those who believe in Jesus have their sins forgiven and realize this covenant that God made with Abraham. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're a part of Abraham's family. You're not Jewish because that wasn't the deal. God wasn't creating a nation of people. God was creating his family. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you become a part of his family. You are a part of Abraham's family. Here's the problem. The requirements of the covenant that Abraham made with God so many years ago are still on us. (laughs) That's the problem. If one of us doesn't fulfill our end of the bargain, we will become cursed like the dead animals. You, in a very real sense, are almost required to walk between the dead animals and make an oath with God. When you become a part of Abraham's family, you're making this oath with God. I'm giving my life to you and walking between the pieces. The problem is God knows you're going to drop the ball. You see? God knows you're going to fail. God knows you have. God knows you are. God knows you will. He's all throughout time. In fact, he he makes sure that we know he knows. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short, fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If you sin and break covenant with God, you say, I want to follow you, God. I'm giving my life to you. I'm going to become a part of your family. But if you sin, you, you, you break your covenant. You become like the dead animals. So we've got a problem. The problem was solved in a very powerful way. Because when you make oath with God, God doesn't require you to walk between the pieces. God walks between the pieces 
for you too. Just like he did with Abraham, God does for you. Here's the deal. You walk between the pieces and you say, when I don't perform my end of the bargain and I don't live righteously like I promise that I will as a child of God, I will become like the Dan animals. God says to you, you know what? I know something that you know deep down you're not able to fulfill your end of the bargain. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to step off to the side. I'm going to walk between the pieces and I'll do it for you. And when you drop the ball and when you sin... And when you let me down, and when you break covenant with me, I will become like the dead animals. I will take your failure on myself. I will become a curse so that you don't have to be cursed. And God has already done this. You know this. You read it at every football game. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, should not be cursed, but have eternal life. His Son died and became a curse, so you won't have to bear the curse. That's grace. God says, I know who you are. You don't have to walk through this. You just step off to the side. I'll become a curse so that we can have a relationship. God still made his eternal covenant with Abraham and he vowed on his own life to keep it and God is still willing to make this covenant of grace with us today. You may sit there and you may say, well, Craig, why would he do such a thing? Ah, good question. (laughs) You know why? Because he loves us, I know. Because he loves us. It's not because of how you look. It's not because of all the gifts you have. It's not because of the money you can give him. It's not because of the the good that you promise to do for him. None of that matters. The only reason God gives us this kind of grace, the only reason God takes the penalty of the covenant broken on himself and died on the cross is because for you, As far as it depends on you, you couldn't do it. And God loved you too much to let you go. One of my favorite theologians says, in the same way God comes to you, you've done nothing to deserve his great promises, yet he makes them to you. He promises salvation, life, joy, eternal security. He does so simply because it pleases him to do it. God's promises are unilateral, unchangeable, and full of grace. Don't we call that? We call that covenant. And those cheap buggers that wouldn't pay me my money for the newspaper and ran into the house to hide when I knocked on their doors, when they did that, I needed somebody to step in and be my strong man. Somebody to stand in the gap for me. I couldn't do it. I was an 11-year-old weakling. I needed somebody who could stand up to this man and his woman and get the payment they owed me. Make them fulfill their commitment to me for the newspapers that I was delivering to their door at 5 o'clock in the morning. Did I leave that out? 
And when I sin, I need somebody to pay the bill for me. I'm too weak to do it myself. I can't pay for my own sin because any blood that I shed and covenant I make, I'm going to break and my blood will be tainted. We are reminded of this every Sunday when we come to communion. You hear it every single Sunday when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not a remembrance like a memorial service where we're all down and sad and angry and confused as to why things happen like they do. But a remembrance of him meaning exactly what we talked about this morning. A memory that God would do everything it takes so that we could be free from our debt we owe him. Everything it takes, including giving us his own life. We needed someone who would stand in our place somebody who would speak for our sins and our failures, somebody who would love me enough to do whatever it takes to make sure that price gets paid for the, for the payment my sin demands. And that person is Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, boy, I, I hope you got the message this morning. If you go to bed at night and put your head on your pillow and just have this weight of failure that rests on your shoulders. I want you to hear the message loud and clear this morning. You don't have to be all that for God. He was all that for you. You don't have to prove anything to Him. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you know what? He loves you anyway. In fact, He loves you so much, He was willing to go to the cross and pay your curse, take your curse, so that you could be a part of His family.